O and UV is also low. And that was the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Janice. On today's program, we're looking at the government's plan to import labour to ease major shortages in the construction and transport industries. Officials have proposed bringing in 12,000 non-local construction workers. 6,300 airport workers ranging from cabin crew to mechanics and customer service staff, along with 1,700 minibus and coach drivers. The administration says these non-local workers should mostly come from the mainland and won't drive down local wages, as they'll be paid at least the median income in their respective industries. Meanwhile, an existing labour import program will be eased to allow local companies to hire outside staff for low-skilled jobs, such as waiters, and hairstylists. Those safeguards prioritizing the hiring of local workers will stay. So, do you think this program will work? Are some industries getting left out? Are jobs here attractive enough to lure in enough mainland and overseas workers? After 9.45, we'll look at plans to allow the use of electric hoverboards and scooters on selected cycling tracks. And uh, now, uh, to uh, let us know what you um, think on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or uh, give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio, Gottfried Leung, Executive Director of the Hong Kong Construction Association. And on the line, we have Lam Chin Seng, lawmaker from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions. Good morning, Mr. Leung. Good morning, everyone. And uh, good morning, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Mr. Leung, what's been the response of the uh, construction industry to this plan? Well, we are very pleased that the government finally um, had this uh, move uh, uh, to answer our long um, demands because we have been telling the government that there's been a serious shortage of labour in years. And every year we did a uh, survey two times a year about labor shortages in the industry. And it all revealed that we are in shortage of labor. Not only, uh, I meant before the government had this plan of the northern metropolis or the Kao Chow reclamation, then we are already in shortage of labor. So right now, if we are going to have a lot of big projects rolling out in the, in, the, in the pipeline, so it's a very good move that it can ease the problem in the industry. Right. So, but uh, is uh, twelve thousand enough? Well, I can't say it's enough. It depends on how many projects that the government is going to roll out, and the the timing, and then the date stages of the construction. <coughs> so it depends uh, whether it's enough or not. It, but. It is a very good move that we welcome this move. All right. And uh, um, let's go to uh, Mr. Lam. So Mr. Lung here, he, he believes it's a very good move. He's uh, really happy with it. Uh, what's your view? Um, uh, a little bit disappointed that the government introduced uh, another new scheme to import labor instead of using the existing mechanism to import labor, the labor supplementary scheme. Uh, for the construction industry, we understand that the industry needs more human resources, especially in public work, uh, the public housing project, because there's so many grassroots families uh, waiting for the public housing. But we think that the government can put it in the existing mechanism, the labor supplementary scheme, instead of creating a new scheme. 
just like uh, we talk an example is that the uh, elderly care worker last year under the fifth wave pandemic situation, we relaxed the criteria in uh, labor supplementary scheme. For example, the local recruitment requirements so that there are several thousand of care workers came to Hong Kong within three months. So as you can see, the construction industry target is 12,000 foreign labor. Maybe we can reduce uh, and can be processed in the labor supplementary scheme. And we were aware that whether the government want to phase out the labor supplementary scheme and phase out the labor advisory board, because for the labor supplementary scheme under the labor department, uh, the labor advisory board can discuss the cases of application on the labor uh, importation and we can reach a consensus in the labor advisory board between the representatives of employer and the employees and and I think many people think that the trade union will reject all the case of importation of labor and do not allow any foreign labor came to Hong Kong but it's not true it depends on some of the situation. The trade union also agrees some of the cases of importation of labor. For example, the care worker and the construction worker. But uh, the only thing that we worry is that in the future, the government will consider, will not consider the opinion of labor advisory board and also expand the scale of importation of labor in other sector and without any discussion in labor advisory board and and we urge the government to continue to listen the opinion of the trade union and try to make a balance between the importation of labor and the local labor employment priority thank you mr lamb um whilst i understand your concerns on the other side of the argument um there are actually the Industries are finding it very hard to find local labor. In fact, I think last week we just had a, a panel who mentioned unemployment rate will drop below 3% by the end of this year. And also there was a survey which mentioned uh, a lot of industries across the board are actually finding it hard to find local um, local labor. So aside from um, finding long local workers, you know, what other suggestions can we do um, instead of fighting lo- non-local workers. Mr. Lan? And I think um, uh, apart from the construction industry, uh, let's say another example is that uh, for the airport importation of labor, and we understand that we need to support the airport and to maintain the competitiveness of the airport. But, um, but the, the most important issue is that the salary is in low level for the airport frontline staff and their basic salary is low and make a living mainly uh, because from the overtime work pay and they support the airport for the long time and even under the difficult time under the pandemic situation uh, now the economic uh, activity resume and the airport operation resume of course they hope to increase their benefit and share the food of economic development. If the airport frontline workers' benefit and salary and income is affected by the large-scale uh, importation of labor, and I think it's not acceptable. So we, we urge the government or the, the airport authority to provide 
transportation benefit for the airport frontline worker because of high transportation costs and long travel time. Maybe, for example, maybe in some of the job positions in the airport, such as the frontline staff or the cleaning workers, if the government provides a shuttle bus service from Tun Moon to the airport, there's a tunnel. We can arrive to airport quickly, and this can, I think, this can attract many females to join the workforce in the airport uh, for the frontline post, and they can uh, take a part-time job so that they can save transportation time and do some part-time work, and can also take care of their children and their family members. So that, apart from importation of labor, uh, especially in the airport, I think the government should continue to think more about to release the female workforce, for example, to provide more transportation support to the, to the workers in the airport. Right. I just want to go back to Mr. Leung um, when, about the construction industry. Earlier, Mr. Lam, he's talking about how um, he, he thinks the government should have just uh, gone through or used the uh, labor supplementary scheme for the construction sector and the transport sector. Um, what, what's your, your view on that? I mean, because uh, in this latest proposal, you, the, the construction industry it won't need to go through the uh, labor advisory uh, council. I mean, is that unusual? Well, one thing that we want to make clear is that our first priority is to employ local workers. And um, Mr. Lam also uh, aware of that, that we have been doing a lot of things, but um, we cannot tra attract enough people to, to join the industry. Um, the current supplementary labor scheme is, as, as far as we are concerned, is very difficult to get through. We just have a discussion last night among our members. One of the members, he's uh, having a project in the airport. He would like to import some labor to fill up the uh, 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 wooden form work. Unfortunately, he has to go through more than a year and it's still not allowed, uh, approved the application. And the form work is already done. So it's not a single case. It's a, it's a typical case is that um, the time involved in the current situation, in the current procedures, is very long. And sometimes the work is already completed and it's no longer leader, the additional worker from, from outside. So that's why the present scheme introduced by the government yesterday, I think is the um, a right antidote to address the problem that we are facing. They um, shortened the, the application time and then the deputy se uh, financial secretary uh, said that it only takes about two months for the approval. It's a very, very good step that to to address the problem because time is very important in any projects, not only construction, but construction is particularly important because we have the contract to fill in and then we have the time to meet the deadline. Otherwise, we have to pay the damages for the uh, owner. But what kind of uh, workers are you looking for um, to, to fill vacancies in Hong Kong? Will they require um, special qualifications? Well, according to the government scheme, they have to be skilled worker. And the, um, they also have the, the experience in not only in mainland or in other places, they have the, some certification to certify the experience in a particular trade. So right now, um, as far as our association is concerned, as I've mentioned before, we have been doing two surveys every year about the uh, workers' demand in the industry. So every time we reveal that there is about um, almost 10,000 workers' vacancies down the road, for every survey we did. So the shortage is continuous 
So this is the right time that we take this step to attract or to get more uh, outside help. You mentioned about shortening the time it takes, you know, to import foreign workers. But what about workers coming in um, with the right credentials? But because Hong Kong, compared to other cities, they might have different uh, standards, health and safety standards. These workers coming in, do they have to undergo some training, and will that take a lot of time? Well, as far as I know, the worker coming into Hong Kong, they will go through the safety training first. They know about the safety measurement and things like that. And in the construction industry, most of the trades they are, um, what should I say? They they are the same quality, same standard, especially for the mainland workers, because it's not a new thing. You will think about the, the, the new airport that we're enjoying every time. When we build it at the Chatlapcock Airport, we have a massive import of labor as well. Otherwise, we cannot enjoy the convenience nowadays. Right. And uh, I mean, looking at this uh, scheme, Mr. Leung, I mean, um, one interesting thing is uh, accommodation. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the plan, some of them uh, will be uh, staying at uh, COVID isolation uh, facilities in Yunlong. Um, what do you think of that uh, plan? Well, it's not a bad one. The, the CIF facilities, the, the, instead of uh, leaving them vacant for the moment, and we can make good use of them. And it's also... Uh, to, as the government said, it will not increase the demand for accommodation, for, for flats in the, in the market. So it will not affect the local people. I think it's a very good uh, uh, arrangement. And apart from uh, isolation facilities, um, there have been also been some talk about uh, the construction of temporary uh, housing um, actually at the uh, work site, at the construction site. Um, what have you been hearing? Well, it is. It, it is the case, as I mentioned before, in the Chattanooga Airport, when we built it, it also had these kind of facilities built there. So it's not a new thing. It, it's just addressing the, the problem and is a, uh, is a, a very, very thoughtful arrangement for the government to, have, to leave them have more flexibility. Either they live on site, if it's possible, or they, they use the CIF facilities, or even they live across the border to daily commuting. I think this leave the flexibility for the uh, for the uh, construct uh, I mean the main contractor and the workers to design. Right. Well, well do you think many um, construction workers will be staying at the construction sites? Well, it all depends. It is only the, the big construction site can have these uh, luxury to build their own accommodation on site. Right. Mr. Lam, what do you think of that arrangement? Um, I think because of the uh, uh, large-scale importation of labor, and I think the living issue is also a problem if um, all the import labor uh, lives in uh, urban area, for example, the subdivided flat in the urban area, and will affect the price and the supply of the subdivided flat in the urban area and affect the local people, I think. And, and we also agree that uh, uh, we can use the isolation facility and also build some hostel. And in fact, before, we also suggest the government uh, for the construction site in the remote area, for example, near the border, it's difficult for them to recruit local labor because of the transportation time. And so we can allow that uh, those construction sites to recruit uh, foreign labor and then build some hostel for them. And, but on the other side, in the urban area, the construction site is convenient, and, and I think it's more easy for them to recruit local labor and reserve those uh, job positions in the urban area, in the construction site uh, for the local labor.
Right. Okay. And uh, Mr. Leung, uh, I know I, need, I know you need to rush off very soon. Um, under the plan, um, lo- non-local workers, uh, their pay must not be lower than the median wage level of their uh, local counterparts in, in uh, comparable roles. And uh, like we just mentioned, many of the workers will be housed in a COVID isolation facility in uh, Yunlong. Do you think many mainlanders will be uh, interested to come here to work? Well, I think they will, because um, we are not looking for cheap labour, I have to emphasise. We are looking for people that can uh, help our industry to grow and help to finish the projects. And the uh, medium income in Hong Kong is quite high, actually, for the, for some of the trades in, in the local construction industry. Say, for example, for the um, bar bender, they earn almost 3000 Hong Kong dollars a day. So you can imagine it's quite attractive for the mainland worker. In debt uh, income level, uh, Mr. Lan, um, just before you leave, we mentioned briefly off air that you you're experiencing labor shortages for almost ten years. Right. Why do you think this is the case? Why 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 do you think local population aren't really into construction? Well, it's not an isolated case that Hong Kong is experiencing. Uh, for my experience, we have a kind of a um, um, federation among the Asian construction associations. So I was surprised to find out that not only Hong Kong, but in Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Taiwan, they are all experiencing these kind of labor shortages in the construction industry. The only uh, some of the Asian countries that still have plenty of supply is India and Bangladesh. So you can imagine when the economy is growing and more opportunities in other sectors. The construction sector is becoming less and less attractive, although the pay is not bad. But the problem is, well, it's demanding, you know, working on, in the sun in, in the, in the summer, summer months is very difficult and very, it's hard work. But um, we have been trying very hard to attract new people to join the industry. But unfortunately, it's not that I, um, satisfying the results. All right, Mr. Leung, thanks again for joining us this Thank morning. You. That's uh, Godfrey Leung, Executive Director of the Hong Kong Construction Association. Now, uh, let's go back to uh, Mr. Lam. Mr. Lam, just now, uh, Mr. Leung, who's saying uh, he believes uh, this uh, new proposal will be attractive uh, to many uh, mainlanders uh, to come here to work. Uh, what's your view? And I think it's still attractive for the mainland worker because uh, 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 in fact, uh, two weeks ago, uh, after there's some message that uh, said that the government may uh, uh, import construction worker to Hong Kong in a large scale, and we we see so many message in the WeChat group. For for example, the eight thousand dollar per day to recruit mainland construction worker came to Hong Kong. And, and so I think it's still attractive, but, but, but the problem is that uh, $8,000, there's not a market salary for the construction industry. And I think the government uh, and the Labor Department should monitor the situation because they said that uh, they hope to uh, the, the, the employer use the market salary, the median income to recruit construction uh, import labor. Just like the existing mechanism, the labor supplementary scheme, the employer should use the market salary to recruit low, uh, import labor. But at the past, some of the employer uh, just a little bit, uh, uh, some of the uh, employer require uh, the import labor to pay back to them. 
for the lifting costs or other expenditure. And also uh, some of the import labor also need to pay back to the employment agency. So I think uh, the actual salary of some of the imported labor is only several thousand. So if that situation is continued, there's no incentive for the employer to recruit local labor and, or to improve the benefit of the local labor. They will use the cheap labor. So I think the Labor Department should monitor the situation to ensure the employer should use the market salary to recruit the foreign labor. I think that's very important. Uh, Mr. Lam, they mentioned, I think yesterday, that they wanted to keep a ratio of two to one. So hiring two local workers and uh, one um, foreign worker. Do you think that will work? Um, I, I, I think it... it I, I think it is, uh, uh, it is uh, also uh, the way to protect uh, the local labor employment because we, we, we do not hope that the, the employer employed or in the construction site is uh, foreign labor, but we hope to reserve some of the construction uh, job position for local labor. And we, we, we also hope that the government can set a time limit. Uh, for example, a half year, then we can uh, have some review to see uh, whether the local labor job opportunity or salary will be affected and uh, and maybe of course some of the job position uh, we could enough labor already and in in the next step we can focus on some of the job position in the construction industry for importation of labor instead of all the job position in the construction industry i think it can ensure the local labor employment all right, but do you think uh, there's enough protection for local uh, local workers? Um, um, so I, I think the government should, um, apart from importation of labor, um, and although the, the government uh, set some guidelines for the new scheme, but I think the, the Labor Department and the government should monitor the situation, for example, uh, to ensure that the employer to use the market salary to recruit the foreign labor instead of uh, recruiting uh, cheap labor uh, because it will affect the local labor employment and no employer, uh, they, they, will, they, they will not have any incentive to recruit local labor if uh, so many employers can use the cheap foreign labor. So I think uh, the monitoring system is very important, and we hope that for the new scheme, uh, the Labor Department can monitor the situation. All right. I, I have an email here from David. I'm not sure if, uh, Mr. Lam, you, you can respond to this uh, message. He says, uh, we have many old Western people with the skills you require taught in Europe. I, I guess he's talking about the construction industry. Um, but he says, uh, we cannot get jobs now because the certification has to be revalidated. Our expense to conform with uh, Hong Kong standards. Um, then that uh, message is from David. Mr. Lam, do you know what what, uh, what he, he might be able to do? And I, I think, of course, in in Hong Kong, uh, 
So some of the job position, uh, we have some um, requirement for some of the local labor. Uh, uh, for example, the safety training and is very important because we should uh, make sure that we can have a, a safety environment in the construction site and no fatal industrial accident. And so that, for example, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, 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 the ordinance also requires the construction worker to uh, take the safety training course. I think uh, that's very important. So um, for, for some of the foreign labor that came to Hong Kong, I, I think uh, we should follow uh, the, the practice of Hong Kong, for example, safety training, and, and that's very important, I think. All right, Mr. Lam, we, we have to go, uh, take a break for the news very soon. Thanks again for joining us on the program this morning. That's uh, Unionist lawmaker Lam Chin Singh. And uh, we'll continue our discussion afterwards when we will be joined by Maurice Kong, chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Now, if you want to ask our guests questions or share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 and uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Cloudy with occasional showers and squally thunderstorms. Highs expected today of around 29 degrees. Winds moderate south to southwesterlies. And the outlook, more showers and squally thunderstorms in the next couple of days. Right now it's 26 degrees, relative humidity 93%. <laughs> it's now 9.30 with a new summary. Here's Stu Pryke. Donald Trump has given his first speech since pleading not guilty to charges of keeping classified documents and blocking the government's efforts to get them back. Speaking at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, the former US president said the charges against him were fabricated and amounted to electoral interference. The Deputy Financial Secretary, Michael Wong, says the 20,000 quota under the Labour import plan will be dipped into on a quarterly basis. Yesterday, the government announced plans to import 20,000 construction and transport workers to ease manpower shortages in those two sectors. And archaeologists have discovered what they say is the most intact Roman-era mausoleum ever seen in Britain. They say the preserved mosaic floor and steps, which were unearthed at a dig in South London, are unique. Archaeologists think the site was used by wealthier members of Roman society. The news from RTHK. With early diagnosis of HIV infection followed by adhering to treatment, the HIV can be suppressed and sustained at an undetectable level. The chances of transmitting HIV through sexual intercourse will be negligible, and using a condom will make it extra safe. In fact, HIV patients can also live normal lives and have healthy uninfected babies. Learn more at aidscare.com.hk It's important to use the $2 scheme lawfully. Beneficiaries include Hong Kong residents aged 60 or above and eligible persons with disabilities. Those aged 60 to 64 must use a JOYU card or adult fares will be charged. Using the scheme while ineligible is an offence. Offenders are liable to a maximum penalty of imprisonment upon conviction. Unlawful use of the $2 scheme is an offence. Don't defy the law.
Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Philip Wong and me, Janice Wong. Now, before the news, we had talked about the government's plan to import labour to ease uh, major shortages in the construction and transport industries. And apart from targeting these sectors, the government will also lift an import ban on 26 low-skilled job types for two years under the supplementary labour scheme, which will include delivery workers, waiters and junior cooks. Now, to comment on this, we're joined on the line by Maureen. Kong, the chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Good morning, Mr. Kong. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so with the lifting of the import ban under the supplementary labour scheme, employers will uh, um, have to hold a recruitment drive for local workers for uh, over a four-week period before they can um, look for non-locals uh, to basically prove that they can't hire any local workers to fill the vacancies. Um, how much will this actually help the catering sector? Um, um, actually, um, what, what we see, there's a good news for our industry. And, and as we all know, we are facing a big challenge on shortage of manpower. Yeah, it's so difficult to, to, to get the staff. Yeah. And even we try to all, all, uh, organize a recruitment day, I was told by one of our members, uh, caught up on a holiday, only we could feast candidates yeah, and expect to have 100. So that's a serious problem for our industry, really. Right. And uh, before the news, we heard from a uh, uh, const- uh, construction sector representative. He was talking about this uh, this uh, supplementary labor scheme. And he said in the past, it would take a long time to actually um, be able to for, for them to be able to get anyone. Um, what do you think of the time it takes, uh, you know, to hire some uh, someone for, through this uh, labor scheme? Um, um, what, what we understand, OK, um, um, should be ready by September. If that case, I, I think it's good for us to have the better planning and, and to have the staff for, for the festive season, uh, like coming uh, Christmas or, or New Year. Right. And uh, of course, uh, like I mentioned, this will uh, include uh, waiters and uh, junior cooks. Um, are they, yeah. are they, are they the, the, the type of uh, jobs that's uh, most needed right now? Oh yes, I would I would say so, and, and even we need more staff. Okay, not only for junior coke and also waste staff there, yeah, but also the cleaner. Okay, it's so difficult to find any cleaner in Hong Kong, yeah, for dishwasher and so so forth. Uh, Mr. Kong, are you actually yeah. seeing like a shortage of staff across all different types of restaurants, or is it just specific restaurants that we're talking about? Oh yeah, thanks. And and I, I will I will see uh, for all uh, level of restaurant. Okay, a restaurant uh, for for outside or even including uh, uh, in the hotel industry. I see. And one of the yeah. um, concerns that uh, we talked about earlier uh, was about you know hiring non local workers and affecting the medium income for a uh, local population. Do you think this will be the case? Um, actually, I I don't think so. And now today we offer a very, very good package uh, for, for all naval staff. However, still couldn't find any staff in the local market. Yeah. So I think it's the time to, to consider to import someone from overseas or mainland China. Right. And uh, right now we're, we're uh, of course, talking about the lifting of the import ban under the supplementary labor scheme for some uh, job types that are in the catering industry. Do you think it would be better if the catering sector had its own labor importation scheme like the construction and transport industries? Um, well, we have to think uh, twice. And, and actually, for the benefit, of course, we need to protect the local one. Yeah. 
I think we we have better to start the scheme first, and then we we keep on working on the on the long term planning. Right, and uh, do you think? I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, to uh, through the scheme, the uh, the uh, restaurant uh, you'll have to, for example, hold a recruitment, a local recruitment drive for four weeks uh, before you can actually look for non-local staff. What do you think of that arrangement? Is it uh, would it be a time consuming? Is it fast enough? Uh, uh, yes or no? Um, um, as I mentioned, okay. First of all, we need to to protect the local uh, um, uh, neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, if if um, there's a scheme to to have a four weeks, okay, to review, I, I think it's fair for the local uh, 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 local workers. Yeah. And and honestly speaking, nowadays, no matter four weeks or six weeks, we could find any staff. So I I, I don't think it's a big issue. Right, but but uh, would it uh, benefit larger restaurant chains uh, instead of like smaller restaurants? Uh, I think the benefit is for both. Yeah, no matter large or small, and 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 now that they both uh, uh, large or small a scale of restaurant, we have the same problem. Yeah, we couldn't find any staff. Mr. Kong, whilst you mentioned that it is a good idea to uh, hire foreign workers, do you see any issues regarding um, language? I mean, Cantonese isn't the most popular language uh, in the world. Do you see any issues with that? Uh, 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 yes, yes or no. And, and, and at the same time, we are, we are facing uh, another challenge. A lot of tourists, especially those people from mainland, they keep on complaining. Uh, the local worker they could speak in Mandarin. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that uh, we can see another opportunities. Okay, uh, we can set up something like a trainer, trainer, trainer scheme uh, um, to train the, the workers for for local and also for overseas. Uh, yeah, to combine two in one to work together. Right, and uh, earlier yeah. you were saying uh, you were telling us how about uh, how difficult it is to uh, actually hire anyone right now. Um, have you ever um, ever tried to find out why why people why are people not joining the catering sector? Uh, and, and first of all, uh, for for those uh, 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 some of the young generation, uh, um, they have their own you know uh, uh, idea. Uh, maybe they prefer to 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 open their own store uh, as a uh, as a young entrepreneur. And and some of the the job, okay, actually, uh, they need to face a non working hour. And and now today, people are talking about uh, work life balance. Yeah, so that that's also the issue, okay, and for us, a little bit challenge to get the staff. What, what have you, um, uh, the F and B industry? What have they done to actually attract more uh, local talent to join the F and B uh, industries? Have you has have have you done anything like that before? Oh yes, yes, of course. Okay, uh, we also work with uh, a lot of local school, and and we start to uh, promote our friend beverage even uh, in the secondary school and try to let them what what is uh, food and benefit industry. At the same time, we also work with uh, different uh, um, technical school in order to get the staff and and maybe the um, uh, on the job training or intern, that kind of things. Okay, we try very hard to, to, to use different methods to recruit the staff. Right, and uh, how would this um, actual process work? So like we talked about before, you have to hold a four-week recruitment drive, and if nobody is interested, then you can make the application through this uh, labor supplementary scheme. How does it work? And I mean, do you have to go through an agency to get staff uh, from the mainland? Um, um, 
in Hong Kong, okay, uh, we 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 do uh, use different channels to recruit staff, okay, uh, by using advertisement or even a labor department, and we post it normally the position, okay, not only for four weeks, okay, maybe for four months, normally ask for, and and so. Once again, uh, I, I think that uh, for which time um, shouldn't be a big challenge for us to be put in staff. Yeah. Right, but after that process is over, what is the next step? Um, um, as you mentioned, okay, uh, and for for people in mainland, we may need to contact a, a good agency because uh, we need to look for uh, all uh, personal data, okay, and also the background, okay, we better to know. So. Yeah, if, if we need to go through those agencies, I think uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a proper uh, way to get the staff too. Right. And how how many staff do you think uh, the the catering sector actually needs? <laughs> wow, it's, it's it's a tough question actually. Uh, um, we depends on on different uh, operation. Yeah, what what uh, we heard from our members. Yeah, none of our members they said they have enough staff. Yeah. And, and we also uh, check with uh, other industries, including a, a tourist or hotel. Yeah, they are comfortable the same thing. So I'm afraid I, I don't have a figure, but wow, we need quite a lot of you know, uh, labor force for our industry. Um, in terms of finding local talent, has it been getting worse for, for the F&B industries? Well, actually, uh, and, and now we are facing a different challenge, okay, and the keen competition, yeah, and also uh, for for those in beverage business, sometimes uh, we need to have more tools, okay, to support the business. And, and we, need, we need to wait a little bit, okay, to get more tools uh, to, to have a better, you know, um, pool, yeah. And have you been working with the tourism board uh, to, to, you know, attract more tourists coming in? Uh, we do, we do. Okay, we do work with them. Okay, for for different campaign, and and and, and from um, wine dye to whatever, yeah. And even we also work with uh, quite lots of large uh, travel agent, yeah, to to have a a, a uh, better twist plan for them to come to Hong Kong. Right. And earlier I mentioned uh, that uh, this uh, uh, labor scheme will cover jobs such as uh, waiters and junior cooks. I mean, what other um, job types do you want to uh, uh, hire through this uh, labor scheme? Uh, I, I think uh, the basic is very important. OK, uh, as I mentioned, it's possible we to, to look for uh, more workers uh, to, to clean up okay? and, and, and even. Uh, for those uh, uh, not only junior code, but also uh, some of them, uh, they need to have a, a foreigner, okay, to serve a different cuisine in order to keep the reputation of food and beverage paradise in Hong Kong. Yeah. We have to serve different varieties, right, to all customers. So no matter French cooking, Spanish cooking, we different you know, technique, okay, to fill the gap. I see. And, and aside from... Uh, finding foreign workers. Uh, what about using technology, like such as I don't know AI and automation? Has that helped? Um, you know, f- f- um, replacing uh, workers. Oh, uh, actually, I I I can say replacing uh, is it, a good uh, tool to improve the working a good workflow. Um, um, true. Uh, quite a lot of our members, they try to use those uh, AI or a machine, okay, to get the thing done. And it's all for uh, those food factory. Uh, if for the normal restaurant or, or small-scale restaurant, sometimes it's a bit tough to, to use that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Right. And when you talk about uh, hiring um, non-local staff to fill vacancies in Hong Kong, are you? do you think most restaurants will be uh, targeting uh, mainland staff or will you look uh, elsewhere as well? Uh, we we depends uh, for junior or waiter waitress. Uh, we we may first of all consider people from mainland, yeah, or, or some uh, special specialty restaurant. Uh, they may look for someone from overseas, even the junior position. Right, and uh, yeah. I mean, looking at uh, I mean, what else? I mean, looking at what else you want to see the government do to help the catering industry. Um, what do you hope to see? Um, um, actually, uh, well, we do, uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, we need to have uh, uh, a better uh, opportunity to, to draw the attention for over the world um, in order for them to come to Hong Kong, okay, yeah, to have a better, you know, uh, a base, a true space, yeah, in order to cover our, our business, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there have been a talk about uh, work-life balance. I mean, how, how can you achieve that in the catering industry? It's a bit tough, okay. Uh, as we all know, some some uh, restaurants need to uh, to to work uh, a bit longer. Yeah. However, uh, what I understand, quite a lot of uh, investors, uh, they start to uh, um, offer more uh, time off for them. Cut uh, about all day, maybe uh, one day uh, per week. Uh, now I can see some they may offer one point five time off per week. I think it's getting better. All right, Mr. Kong, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Maurice Kong, Chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. It's now 9.46 and in a moment, we'll look at plans to allow the use of electric hoverboards and scooters on selected cycling tracks. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. Under legal amendments proposed by the government, electric mobility devices, including electric hoverboards, unicycles, e-bicycles and e-scooters, will be allowed on designated cycling tracks in Hong Kong. According to a LegCo paper that will be discussed on Friday, the proposed maximum speed for the devices will be set at 25 kilometers per hour. They also need to be equipped with safety features such as a white front light and an effective braking system. To comment on this, we're now joined on the line by Lawrence New. Executive Director of Civic Exchange. Good morning, Mr. Liu. Thanks for joining us on the program. Good morning. Thank so, you for inviting me. Yeah. So, so, um, what do you think of the government's plan to regulate these uh, uh, electric mobility devices? So, I think definitely is a good approach. And then also, you can, what I can observe is the whole process. Actually, the government is using an entire new mindset to rethink about how to regulate the new technology. This is a good start for Hong Kong to regulate more and more new technology in the future. Maybe I can give you some background about 
why Hong Kong government needs to regulate this kind of hoverboard e-bike or e-scooter because the context of Hong Kong road design is not really considered this kind of new technologies. And then there are three key points that I would like to articulate here. The first one is our vehicle numbers is very high on the road. And then secondly is like the dense population. So that that is really about the public safety. And then second, and then the second point is the technology standards, because as you can remember, like couple uh, last years, our last years, there like a, a hoverboard catch on fire uh, on the bus. So that is like that's why the battery standard also is quite um, important um, for the government to consider to maintain the public safety. So that I think this approach is really aligned with the public interest. Right. So you mentioned that uh, we have a lot of uh, vehicle numbers on the road. Um, but uh, in, in this uh, plan, um, these uh, electric mobility devices will only be used at uh, desi- de- designated uh, cycling tracks. So will it really make a, a big difference? Um, so that not just um, the vehicle, but if you are aware that over the weekend, like in the science park and then Changguan, there are a lot of bike um, traffic on that particular segment of um, like the, um, the the science park. So that this is also is one of the concern for the government. But you know that you cannot really. Sometimes maybe people will like use the that bike on a right right on a one um, position. So the government also needs to consider this kind of thing because the main purpose of the government is also protect the um, public safety, right? Oh, yeah. And do you actually see this as the government's way of uh, doing it as like a trial and then see how it works? And if it works properly, do you think they're going to expand uh, this initiative? I think um, the government already has it um, and have a trial um, since um, 2021 in like this um, different session of cycle truck, like in Trenton Ocean and then also in other session nearby um, the Hong Kong Science Park. And then they also like keep um, to really like um, try to understand and then to full uh, bottom um, to the top process to really rec- identify what is the potential hazards, what is um, the like um, people um, require uh, think about uh, the e-bike or e- um, hoverboard or like the e-scooter on the road, and they're also really active to engage with different stakeholders to gather um, their opinion. So that this is already a very um, good process to make sure that. Um, the consideration for the new legislation can balance the interests of different stakeholders. I see. And and do you actually actually see in the future probably maybe we'll have um, lanes, <laughs> street lanes uh, for e-scooters and hoverboards? So for the brain, why? Uh, no. So so like um, uh, traffic lanes. You mentioned about um, how there are a lot of uh, vehicle traffic. Um, do you see in the future maybe uh, the government to introduce? new lanes for uh, bikes, uh, e-bikes, scooters, etc. 
Mm-hmm. I think this will involve a uh, stakeholder engagement process because uh, if there are some demand or some voice, the government will definitely um, study about it and then also will conduct some assessment to really think about whether it is feasible and then will it really impact um, the um, busy traffic on the busy traffic. So that definitely the government will need to um, conduct a more in-depth feasibility study before um, they can re- we can they can really make any decision. Right. So can, can you tell us a bit about uh, what's being done in other cities? I mean, how do they promote the use of uh, electric mobility devices or, or regulate them? So that maybe I can let you um, share something in mainland China. In mainland China, um, they um, regulate um, the this kind of um traffic um, long, a few years ago. And then there are some key points that I would like to articulate. The first one is um, they already set up a national standard, especially like the pedal function, the battery standard, and then also the speed is like PD5. It is like um, cannot exist 25 kilometer per hour. So that no matter how the people push the pedal and then the vehicle the scooter will not really exist um, 25 kilometers per hour. That can really significantly protect um, the public um, safety. And then also, they also like to set up some um, academy to really help the industry to identify the future needs and then also provide them some policy to uh, encourage this kind of innovation. And then also in Singapore, um, in Singapore is more um, interesting their story. It's like the LTA set up a regulatory sandbox to really like um, use to make sure that the technology can drive the future regulation. So that one of um, Taiwanese um, e-scooter company um, landed Singapore and then joined the regulatory sandbox um, for uh, a period of time and then let them to really pilot and trial the new technology in Singapore. And then after a period of time, the, um, the, they will work with the government and then to review um, the particularity and then also um, the safety um, of this kind of new technology. So that I think that in the future, um, actually Hong Kong government already stepped out a great step is like to conduct a trial and then study about the new technology rather than just ban the technology. So that what the technology did is the rec- a good regulation and then good enforcement. So that the government definitely can really think about the new approach, how and then to have a mindset shift from the old days, very top-down mindset, to in the future from the bottom up. For example, it's like in the future we need to embrace in an uh, environment that um, the, the new regulation must be technology different. And then secondly, is like. Um, how to like make sure that how the, to make sure the engagement process can really balance different um, stakeholder interests to make sure that can make Hong Kong to trans to be a more people centric, technology friendly, and a bit more innovative uh, environment. 
Now, we mentioned about allowing the e-scooters, hoverboards, etc. to use the cycling lanes. And on weekends, I think there are actually quite a lot of people using it, like uh, bicycling. Um, and at 25 kilometers per hour, it doesn't seem fast. But it does seem quite fast for a person riding a bicycle and then a scooter whizzing past. Um, what are the ways or the things that we need to do to ensure that safety is uh, appropriate? So that I think the government definitely need to think about how to enforce the new legislation. For example, it's not allowed to exist 25 kilometers. And then also the specification of the um, scooter, hoverboard, or e-bike. Because so far, in the, uh, for example, it's like the um, device weight must be less than 20 kg or lower more than 65 centimeter wide this kind of strength maybe the government can really like to let um, the owner to registrate um, this kind of e-scooter or e-bike and then also think about how to allocate resources for the enforcement department to really like enforce this kind of new regulation on the bike and to make sure that um, the new technology can really like um, can really like uh, integrate into the existing um, technology or existing um, infrastructure network. Right. When you talk about in, uh, enforcement, if there's a speed limit of, like uh, you say, 25 kilometers per hour, do you think it would be uh, difficult to enforce? I think maybe the government can really like to mesh, can work with um, like the uh, retail or or the um, the vehicle, the bike supplier to make sure they can really like set the default speed limit on the new sales bike. Oh, and then also for the existing um, bike, the government also can really like um, to set up some. center or set up some facility to let the people bring the bike and then to really set the uh, speed limit before to allow them to use on the road. Right. How is it enforced on the mainland? You're talking about how they also have a speed limit uh, of uh, 25 kilometers per hour? So they really like uh, all the manufacturers need to really obey to this regulation so that they stuff from the very upstream of the supply chain because in mainland they have a very well-established supply chain and the manufacturer so that the government definitely possible to regulate it from the upstream. But in Hong Kong, we don't have um, this kind of uh, manufacturing plant or factory so that maybe the government can really regulate it from the importer or from the supplier that when they ship the new e-bike to Hong Kong, and then definitely must require them to set the speed limit before importing to Hong Kong. All right, uh, Mr. Liu, we have to uh, leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Lawrence Liu, Executive Director of Civic Exchange. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and to our guest presenter, Philip Wong, and producer, Raphael. I'll be back with another edition of Back Chat tomorrow with Paul Zimmerman.